Welcome to Where Others Won't, episode 76. After a short break, episodes are going to come at you thick and fast for the rest of 2021 with some incredible guests. We've got Intangibles author Joan Ryan. We've got Chiefs rugby psychologist Aaron Walsh. And Cam Schwab is going to be back as a return guest as well. My guest on this episode is also a returning guest, Mark Champagne. Mark's new book, Personal Socrates, is out today, October 19, 2021. So if you enjoy this conversation, make sure you go out and grab it. Mark has spent a long time exploring the concept of how just one question can change your life. And in Personal Socrates, he explores the questions asked by some of the world's true game changers. <laughs> now, I need to add, I had some microphone trouble during this recording, so it sounds like I'm on a car phone from the 90s and Mark is in the studio, but Mark's the one you want to listen to anyway. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the author of Personal Socrates, out today, Mark Champagne. Champagne, welcome back, mate. Thank you very much, sir. A pleasure to be here. What's changed? It's got to be two years. <laughs> do you want to go? Things. Do you want to go through line by line? A few things, just eighty-six point nine million things. <laughs> mate, I'm excited to talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. Last time, you and I and Meg Popovic from Toronto Maple Leafs got together, and we had a, an amazing conversation. We went super into the weeds on uh, mental fitness and, and wellness and um, the NHL and uh, developing young men and all sorts of amazing topics. I'd, I'd recommend people go back and listen to that episode. We go super, super deep. And uh, I'm excited to talk to you about a similar question here. We're going to talk about questions uh, as a topic and really excited to dive into your new book, which is called Personal Socrates. But tell me about your last couple of years in terms of uh, what you've been doing. You've got your podcast, uh, you've got the book now, but it's kind of based off the podcast. You had the app, which was about prompts, which has kind of led you down this path anyway. Mm -hmm. So just tell me about the, the last couple of years and how it's all come together. Yeah. Well, thank you. For, first of all, thanks for having me back. Uh, I remember that first conversation because it was one of the first where there were two guests plus a host, obviously, and I remember thinking, how is this, either this is going to flow or it's not going to flow, and it, and it flowed, and I still get comments on that one, so it's nice to come back. There, I mentioned that there's 86.9 million different things that uh, transpired since that recording, and, and what I was referencing was the, was the app that you talked about, Keo, which was a reflection app or a journaling app loaded full of uh, questions to help people fire up a practice around reflection and, and you know that, that we spent a lot of time talking about how people can get started and we ended up reaching 86.9 million people uh, in terms of app store impressions with that app 
But over the, the last couple of years, the, the difference was we reached those people and almost in the same breath, uh, I also had to delete that app and that business, which was a wild experience for many reasons. Uh, one being, you know, how do you, how do you reach that many people and quote unquote fail? you know, in a, in a, in a business in a way, I mean, ultimately mm -hmm. the, the long story short is just financially, we couldn't keep it going. And, you know, we needed more time and more mental capacity as, as well to continue forward and really iterate the product to make it sustainable for, with the business model, which was a subscription model. Um, so I say it, it failed, it failed financially, but it succeeded in so many other ways, which, you know, the biggest thing would be, it put me on a path which what we're talking about now is just around mental fitness and like the power of questions and how, you know, one question literally can change your life, right? One question can, can, can be the dictator, whether you continue down a current path or switch it up and go a different route. But if we don't take the time to pause and think about that question, then, uh, you know, we just, we flip into autopilot mode. So I've been spending, you know, the last couple of years, uh, continuing in this space post app doing a lot of reflecting myself continuing the podcast behind the human um to unpack all these practices from all these different types of of humans out there doing different work that you know you might not expect that are you know they're not all meditation teachers or yoga instructors um you know they're strategists and developers and athletes and all these different um people that have different perspectives to help us get started in this stuff so, you know, long story short, I'm kind of still doing the same thing. I just don't have an app behind me doing it. Now I have a book, which is <laughs> ironic. <laughs> well, that's the, the magic of it, I think, is that, and this is what I love about this domain, is that it does carry through. It carries through other things that you do. For me, it's been, I've been learning from the best practitioners in, in leadership for years and you know, I usually break it down like this. There's been, at this point, there's been about 75 episodes. That's 75 hours of diluted learning that becomes mine because yeah. it, it because you ask the questions and you do the research and, um, and, and try to distill as much as you can into that hour from that practitioner. But it does impact my leadership it impacts my coaching it impacts my relationships with my friends and my partner and 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 it can continue on whether the podcast continues on or not and that's what i love about this forum and then yeah for you as well to be able to put that down into book form is going to continue to to impact uh, a lot more people as well so i'm sure you're looking forward to that yeah well and i needed it i i needed I needed those practices and those prompts after I hit delete because, I mean, I kind of glazed over that process as if it was just a small thing, but it was, you know, I'll never forget that. We, you know, I was sitting in a co-working space in Toronto, Canada, and I'm looking at that dashboard, that Apple metrics, looking at the 86.9 million. My next step is to hit delete from App Store. And like that, you know, the last three years of building that product and that, that ecosystem and identity that I was wrapped up when it was deleted. And, uh, you know, now what, <laughs> like, what am I, what am I doing now? I knew the, the, the interesting thing was that 
when I left the corporate world to pursue that app idea and, and that entrepreneurial world, the question I had asked myself then was, what's the worst that can happen? And the answer was, well, if it all fails and it doesn't work out, I'll just come back to the industry that I was working in. And what happened throughout those, those three years was that I really, truly found kind of my calling of work. So now all of a sudden the backup plan was like, that doesn't at all feel right. And I just deleted the vehicle that would keep me in the space that I know I can feel my gut is the right kind of work. Like, how do I stay into the, in, in this mental fitness realm and specifically related to these questions? And that was terrifying. I mean, I was physically sick for a good few weeks after doing that. And I just remember, you know, looking in the mirror and just, whoa, what, I mean, who is this person? You know, what, what am I doing? We couldn't afford our rent. You know, we weren't, we didn't want to live where we were living. I had a, uh, I think my, my little guy was probably about two or so at that time and I'm two or three maybe. And it's thinking, you know, we were doing our best as parents not to let that stress, you know, creep into the household. But you know, anyone with kids, no, they, they pick up on everything. So there was, that was in the back of my mind too. It, it, like, is the, you know, am I scarring my child with the stress that is, you know, in the background? So it was tough. And I had all the practices after, you know, 200 plus interviews and, and all these questions I could have flipped to, but I, you know, I was, I am and was human just like the rest of us and was plagued and paused by fear and uncertainty. And just not knowing, not having a plan forward. So, you know, I, to your point, like eventually I got to the, to the point where I asked a different question and it, it paused my narrative long enough to put a plan together, but it took some time to process that. Uh, and then I was super grateful to, to have all these practices at my disposal to, to really navigate the, the new journey forward. Isn't that interesting how you can have all the tools, you can be an expert in the tools, you can have the questions, you can have the prompts in your case. Like how many prompts are in the app that you, you had access to? Thousands, right? Oh, there was 100,000 prompts at the end. <laughs> right. So you're literally sitting there with the answers to, to everything that you're going through, but it's still not, not, that, not that it's lost on you that you have those. But it, like you said, you're human and you kind of have to go through the grieving process and the, the questioning your identity and, and all these different things. Yeah. And it's been fascinating having these same conversations with coaches around, we know all the, the, the lessons of high performance and, and human behavior and that's what we do. But yeah. we still go through the McDonald's drive-through and still, you know, slink into the bar for six beers before, you know, while the, the, the players have got curfew and they have to be asleep, but we don't have to be asleep. We'll go and have a drink because we can't sleep. And, and yeah, yeah, it's kind of sitting right in front of you, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you take your own advice. Yeah. Well, and sometimes that's when it comes, you know, comes through another medium. I'll, I'll never forget while I was going through that, one of the profiles, actually, one of the guys in the book, Chip Conley, was one of those people I emailed just providing a bit of background and essentially asking for some advice, right? You know, to, to help carve the, 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 the new plan forward. And he just fired back an email with a couple questions. And <laughs> I remember thinking of like, here, here I am, you know, spending all this time with these prompts. I just emailed this, this guy I really trust. And he just essentially replied back with, you know, a couple prompts that it's like, okay, 
well, that makes sense. So I'm just going to take some time and, and, but it just landed in a different way. Right. And I think all questions do that. I mean, that's the power of these prompts, right? The, the, a, a prompt is powerful when it's, when it's delivered in a relatable fashion or at a well-timed period of your life or whatever you're going through, right? It, something can land completely different for me than it does for you. And that's where, you know, we all find our questions. It's just if we can slow down enough to, to get, get to that place, then we can let some magic occur, essentially. Yeah, and for everyone listening, if you've read my book, the name Chip Conley might be familiar. Uh, I talk about him in the context of starting a modern elder academy and bringing together yeah. experienced, you know, midlife uh, people who, you know, there's not a lot out there for them and bringing community around that. And I position that, that we need that in coaching, that we actually need to come together and use our knowledge and experience together rather than trying to fight each other. Mm -hmm. And he's provided um, one of the quotes for your book. I think he's also in it. He asked some questions, but let's let's jump into it. I want to ask you. Well, firstly, thank you for giving me a copy of the book. I don't have launched yet. I, I really appreciate that. I know how uh, special it is and how uh, you need to be thought of quite fondly to get a, a pre-version <laughs> of the book of any book because uh, it's your baby. So thank you for that. I'm going to ask you some questions out of the book because I want to prompt you with your own prompts. <laughs> and the first one is how can I ask the most powerful questions? It's literally the first question in the book. So how yeah. can I, or how can you ask the most powerful questions? So that's, that's a question inspired by Cal Fussman. Uh, for anyone that's not familiar with him, uh, he's just a legendary interviewer, in my opinion. Uh, worked for Esquire magazine for, I think, the majority of his career interviewing Muhammad Ali. I mean, a lot of the U.S. presidents, Robert De Niro. I mean, so many people, so many people. Kobe Bryant, I, I believe. I mean, name the main name the person he's probably interviewed them. And I remember when when I was interviewing him, you know, just doing everything possible to sit back and essentially mute the microphone and and like shut up and and listen. Which is ironic because what I got from that interview and and some of his practices about asking the best questions was centered around presence, right? And I think whether that's coaching, leadership, uh, your life in general, or any, any type of situation, I mean, when you can be present and allow your mind to then connect the dots and ask the right questions, you know, we can trust our mind, they'll surface, right? And in Cal's case, the, the practice he left was, you know, when he would go into an interview, he would list out every single question he could think of and just let his mind run wild, essentially, and, and have, you know, at times hundreds of questions on a, you know, I think he was using a yellow, uh, you know, pad of paper, essentially. But then when he would go into the interview, he'd rip it up. And he would trust that I've thought of all the questions that are, you know, intriguing me about this person. Now it's my job not to sit there as they're answering a question and think of the next thing to say, but my job is to sit there and listen and trust that my mind's going to surface the right prompt and thought based on, you know, the dialogue happening. And again, coming back to the idea of like a really good question is one that's timed well and is relatable. For me, 
you know, obviously as a, as a podcast host, but also just navigating this, this book and whatnot, you know, the presence and really listening to what was coming up was imperative. It was so important. Um, and it, it ties to Chip Conley's profile as well about, you know, when you're, when, when you're trying to be the most curious person in the room, you're also the most present person. And people feel that, right? So, I mean, with those two together, uh, link really well. And it, really all you have to remember is be present. Put in the work beforehand. Give it some thought. You know, pull in whatever data you need, whatever pre-research, whatever whatever the situation is. But then I think it really comes, to, comes down to trusting that our mind, because it's super powerful, this thing we've got between our ears, will actually surface the right information and questions. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. And to link that to what we're going through, the shift that we're going through in coaching at the moment in sport is I I love that visual of go and write down all the possible questions, but then rip it up and, and trust your instinct. I think we've gone way too structured and way too like framework um, guided. The framework is there for you to operate within the framework which is essentially what Cal is getting at there in that he's building mm-hmm. the framework around the way he's going to think about asking these questions. But then ultimately his instinct kicks in and he trusts his instinct while he's in that moment to ask the best questions. And he might actually think of something that is completely different as the next response because it's more natural than he, he could yeah. have anticipated beforehand. And that's where yeah. the gold is. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, you know, what I've learned, especially over the last four years, just working with all these prompts and whatnot and practices is that really anything I can do to escape any type of autopilot or treadmill type thinking, because we're surrounded by this is what you do. This is the next step away you go, you know, do this, do that. I mean, everywhere you turn, I mean, if you just go on autopilot in a supermarket, you're, you're going to be obese, right? Like you're not going to be making healthy choices. It's not set up to be a healthy environment. Like you've got to stop, pause, think, and, and really understand what you're doing there. And, but that plays out in so many different places, right? The only place I want an autopilot is when a pilot is taking a break, flying a plane everywhere else. You know, I think we need to leverage our minds a little bit more and really start thinking. Yeah, exactly. Just, if you want to really get some insight into the supermarket, I know people say, look at, at what's at the front, but actually look at what's on the end caps. That's what's most telling. What's on yeah. the end of each aisle is really what they're, they're trying to get you to buy. Yeah. Um, next question for you, and this is going to be a huge one in my world. How can I be clearer in fewer words? Ooh, so Mikiel Cho, co-founder of Unsplash, one of the biggest free high, uh, high quality photo sharing sites. Um, that's where that one's coming from. Super brilliant human, nice guy. Uh, he's real. I think he played. I know he's really passionate about playing soccer, but I want to say he played some high level soccer in his time. Um, or football, I should say. <laughs> um, know my audience, right? <laughs> and, you know, 
basically the reflection in that prompt that or the, yeah that prompt in that profile was centered around the idea of of Mikael using Twitter you know to really share what was on his mind and then as as most of us know you know, you've got this character limit on Twitter which really forces you to step back and think about what you're saying in as few words as possible right often we try to say you know almost as much as possible you provide all this detail and whatnot and you know with on twitter side you just can't post that but everywhere else in the world whether it's slides or emails or whatever the case is or in conversation we we don't necessarily have that restriction so the way to train your mind though to think like that is to actually you know impose your own kind of twitter character limit and you know Mikael, i mean the way he does it in the mornings and I've adopted some of this as well as, you know, he would write in the morning, he would write these thoughts and he'd capture them and then he'd let them sit. That's the other thing, like let time, some stillness do its magic and then come back to that the next morning. That could be an email, that could be a decision with the team, that whatever it is, right? Let it sit a little bit and then go back to it and see if you can truncate that down into a more specific or more clear paragraph or line or most importantly message right strip out the extra noise in there because it's usually just filler right and the key like most of the things in the book really are centered around if you start doing that and you make you, you make it a practice where you're when you're not in the moment where you need to be very concise your mind just starts to automatically do this and then you start you know just like the questions you start seeing the right questions in everyday life. Start asking yourself more questions. In this case, you start being more clear by default because you're training your mind. Just like when you're physically training your body, I mean, it's these incremental exercises that eventually get you to a point where you're performing at, at elite levels. It's the same thing with our mind, right? Someone said to me recently, who had been listening to me on uh, another podcast as a guest. And they said, do you realize that you pause and you can hear you breathe in and out before you respond? And I said, well, I don't really realize I'm doing that. I, I know that I take time to respond because I'm thinking of the response and often I'll, I'll, I'll try to pause, but it is that time kicking in, right? Yeah. That I've kind of got this snap judgment on the response already because you can pick that up from kind of the start of the question, what, where they want to take you. But then it's that, and this is what happens when you kind of train in this, this kind of environment is if you just, you only need a little bit of time, like you said, yeah. is this what I want to say or do I want to take it somewhere else? And what, what launch pad do I want to use? Yeah. And I think that's really valuable in this current landscape where we are asked to respond immediately, constantly. Like cause even on email now, it's unacceptable to leave it for too long. Right? Like mm -hmm. you, you're almost, if you haven't written back within a day in a workplace environment, people think you're, you're slacking off or, uh, or they're in trouble or like they start to interpret these weird things that are happening when really you might just be <laughs> trying to, yeah. trying to pause and actually respond in a, in a proper way. And so, yeah. you know, we can fight that as much as we want, but ultimately uh, I think, yeah, we can use some of these practices like just a, a quick pause to actually get to the proper outcome. Yeah. 
Well, the, the in my opinion, the pause, and this is why I like questions, because the questions help stimulate a pause, whether it's a pause with yourself or, or pause with others. But the, the pause is the superpower. I mean, without a doubt, 200 plus interviews later, I mean, the, the through line is the pause. And everyone's coming at it in a different way, but for the most part, they're, they're doing some sort of training to first get their mind clear, and then they're acting with some sort of intention each day, whether that's through their thoughts, their work, their actions. And because of those two things, throughout the day, throughout just, you know, conversations or decisions, that micro pause is there. And it becomes more and more apparent. You know, it's just like as if you're, you're just pausing the whole world and zooming up 40,000 feet and can kind of see it play out. No different than someone like an Apollo Ono, you know, short track speed skater, I think the most decorated winter Olympian of all time. I mean, he left with me that he, he could slow down, you know, the speed of which he was skating on the ice mentally and, and predict, you know, his opponent's next move, like in microseconds. But that's training, right? That is, that is training, knowing what's going on, but also coming from a guy that the way he opened the interview was... When I'm on a plane, I can meditate to a level where beads of sweat are running down my face. You know, that's the mental fitness training. So anyway, I make a joke about it in the profile, just thinking when he said that, you know, either, can you imagine if you're sitting behind, beside someone like Apollo Ono and, you, you know, if you don't know who he is, I, I would be thinking that guy is about to vomit on the person in front, in, in front of him, right? Not that he's, you know, meditating on a base his next race but it's powerful stuff our mind is so powerful it is if you want a really great example i know you have a steve jobs example in here but talking of the pause if you want to understand the power go and watch some of his old interviews like from the 80s and he will not speak until he is ready and it you know this is on like 60 minutes like national television and you know he's this up and coming yeah. guy and he will literally sit there and look up at the sky or, or put his hand, you know, put his hand in his, um, in his palm, uh, put his head in his palm until he's ready to speak. And I just, I think it's, it's magnificent from someone who, again, you just expect him yeah. to be sharp and witty and just respond and respond. And he just won't talk until he's ready to actually answer the question that's been asked. And it's a, it's a yeah. great reminder. Yeah. Well, and then he would do the same thing, you know, with his team. He would he'd ask them the questions. I mean, there it wasn't uncommon to to have projects kind of near that ninety nine percent finish line, and Jobs comes in with a couple prompts about, you know, I, I forget the, the exact example. He had asked a developer to speed up one of the operating systems by, I don't know, a certain amount of seconds, for example, and you know, the guy was like, uh, no, I have this as fast as it can go, and he just, he, he paused him there and then he reframed the situation on, you know, if you could do that, think of how many lives can be, you know, how much, how many minutes and how many hours and years could be saved for a person's life. And that, that person then came back with, I think it was sped up by like 14 plus seconds or something like that. It was, it was crazy when he was asking for a few. Um, but you don't, you don't get that if you're just, on the autopilot and okay, I'm done. I'm going to deliver this right jobs. You know, he would ask the questions 
and, and pause. And it's no surprise that when then when he's asked the questions, he would pause and take the time and think, right? It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a superpower. I mean, like, I can't remember the last time I heard someone say, well, let me sleep on it. You know, that used to be a pretty common expression. There's some merit to that. <laughs> yeah. My most popular episode of this show is with Dr. Mita Singh, the sleep expert. And she, mm. she actually said that she's like, this is why we say I'll sleep on it because sleep is where you do a lot of this processing and gather additional information and cool down and, and actually create some clarity and prune away the things that don't matter and, and decide yeah. on the things that do matter. And it's actually a, it sounds like a throwaway phrase, but it's actually very deliberate and true. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, I use that. So Cal Fussman left me with that one as well. When he was, you know, when he would be blocked from writing an article or something like that, he would never, he'd never force himself to type at the keyboard and he, he would just then write down the question, what do I want to say? Go to sleep and wake up, have a glass of water and just answer that question. And I, I find like, you know, so that's very specific for, for his line of work, but I've since used that, you know, different renditions, but the, you know, like, what am I hearing or <clears throat> what's, what, what decision makes the most sense and just letting that sit. So put your question out there, but then, <clears throat> excuse me, wake up and without doing anything else other than water and going to the bathroom, just start writing out the answer. And it's amazing, you know, it's your, to, to your point, like as you're, sleeping your mind just starts connecting the dots and you know you wake up with answers you do i want to move on to this next question and this might be my favorite from the bunch that you have Ooh, exciting what discomfort am i running from and this comes from chris messina yeah the inventor of the hashtag crazy story on that one <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine being, I mean, the hashtag is just something that's just used for so much. And that started, he was working at Twitter and it was just out of necessity to, to try to communicate with his internal colleagues and just trying to group a conversation together. And next thing you know, I mean, there's legit social movements. I mean, there's so much with it, right? And, you know, that question though, you know, it could, it could be reworded in probably a couple different ways. You know, what am I pretending not to know uh, is another one that, that comes up for me often. But essentially, again, you know, we're smart humans. We know what we're running from. And we also yeah. typically know that probably that area of discomfort is where we should be or spend yeah. some time in there, right? Um, but what makes it challenging is that it is uncomfortable and just like questions, I often get asked, you know, why, you know, why do you think people don't ask more questions? And I said, people aren't scared of the questions. They're scared of the answers, yeah. right? So you're scared of you know, the, the fear is behind identifying what that discomfort is and that, you know, why, you know, what is it? Why, are we, why have we been running from that? But if, again, if we can slow down and use something like journaling or reflection or take a walk with that question and i think the biggest thing release the self-judgment that we're placing on the answer you know leave that with yourself set the ground rules you know what i write or what i what i release here 
that's for me. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not publishing this in Wired magazine. This is for me. I'm not holding, placing judgment on any past decisions. I'm just stating the facts right now in terms of what's coming up. And most importantly, what am I going to do with that, that data or the, those insights, right? And, you know, that's when you can take, you know, a huge discomfort and just break it down in small steps forward and then start building a plan of some sort, right? And that, this is what I love about questions. Again, like that question, and this is the Socratic method, that question is the big one. But then it leads to the next question. Okay, well then, you know, where's that coming from? Where's that discomfort coming from? How, what's one step I can take to release some of that? Or how can I rechannel that? You know, is, there, is, it, is it discomfort around fear about giving a big presentation or a keynote? I mean, there's stuff there that you can then, well, wait a second. What if I take uh, a concept from Maya Angelou, for example, and I'll stand on the stage and I'm going to bring everyone that's ever loved me, that's ever supported me, mentally in my mind like that was something she would do you know giving these these beautiful speeches um there's so many different ways we can rechannel that discomfort and fear and release it and 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 you know get us closer to essentially the life we're trying to live isn't it funny how we hold on to these fears until we experience them like the the thing that always strikes me and you know, spending a couple of years researching coaching and coaches at the absolute peak of what they do, the people that you see on the television every single night. And the ones that have been fired will tell you, I was petrified of being fired until I got fired. Yeah. Yeah. And then it becomes, then it becomes okay. And they're actually freed from that fear by going through it. As much as it sucks, you know, you've got all the, 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 the stuff that comes along with it that a lot of people don't conceptualize, like the fact that that family probably has no income right now. Uh, they have to move. The, the kids are probably mm -hmm. in school. The, the wife has to move again. Uh, husband has to move again, whatever it may be. But then the nature of actually going through it then releases them in the future and not have to fear that anymore. And it just becomes a part yes. of what they do. And, and they feel like they can actually be themselves if they get another opportunity to, to coach. Yeah, and it's yeah. Their, their second appearance that tends to be actually better because it's more holistically and realistically them because they're yeah. freed from this. Uh, this well, and, and on that, yeah, on that, I mean, there's, there's some stuff you can do as well when you're in, in that next moment of, of fear or high tension or whatever it is. I mean, it's, it's called, or at least I call it, and Ben Nimton calls it, you know, experience stacking, right? Because now you have, you have that experience that you, in the moment, was very challenging, pushed you, but you came in. And you, if you reflect back, we don't do this, but we've overcome a lot of shit in our lives. If you can reflect back and, and list that stuff out and celebrate, wow, yeah, you know what? I did that. I applied for that first job. I mean, go right to the front or right to the, the beginning of the story, right? Yeah, I na navigated through that layoff or whatever it was. In my case, yeah, I went from 86.9 million people to more business. And I'm still here. I'm talking to you. We're having a good chat. I overcame that. So the next time I can go back and boost our confidence. Remember, yeah, we, we have it. 
And again, sometimes that's all we need is a bit of a perspective shift in the moment and a reminder that we've, we're pretty awesome humans. Like we can do this stuff. And there's a ton of people around us that can support us as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the other critical point is you start to realize how many people uh, come your way when you need them and, and they, they arrive when you need them to be there. Um, but you only kind of realize that when you're going through those setbacks. I want to move on to another question that struck me. And it's from James Clear, the maybe godfather of habits. We can probably call him now. I'd say he's probably (laughs) at that, that kind of status, but who am I optimizing to become? And I'll tell you why this is really interesting to me is because having just written a book about uh, the emotional side of coaching and <laughs> the tough stuff, the, the stuff that not many people talk about, ultimately where you land is that we haven't been optimizing to become great coaches. We've actually been optimizing to, to tick a lot of other boxes that take us further away from the actual discipline and the reason that we're, we're in coaching yeah. in the first place. And so this really stood out to me. What did it do for you? Well, just, to, I mean, first, just to add to that, I think what also happens, and I mean, I'm guilty of this as well, you you feel that sense of accomplishment, like you're, you are checking things off. Uh, obviously when it comes to, you know, these, these goals or objectives, but you know, James left me with a line if something to the fact of like, am I climbing the right mountain? And that's where a question like, who am I optimizing to become, or who do I want to become, or are my habits and systems supporting or supporting that person is super important to, to slow down and, and think about. Because then it also frees up a lot of just, you know, decision fatigue, because then when you're faced with these opportunities or whatever, I mean, you know, which path or which lane to navigate towards. And it, that's because you are clear on who you really want to become or, or where you're going. Right. For James, the way this came up and I write about this as, you know, it's kind of funny because it all seems like these are good problems to have, but this was James reality. I mean, before James had his book, I mean, he a following or an audience from his newsletter, but nowhere near, you know, what he is today in terms of one of the best selling nonfiction authors in the world right now. And remember he said, you know, it, it was insane because over the course of two, three months of having that book out, opportunities that were coming in by the truckload essentially almost every day just one of those would have been like the opportunity for the month for him month ago so then for him it was like well this is an interesting position i find myself in how do i decide Mm -hmm. and he decides by being super clear on who he's optimizing to become right and again i mean that's an extreme example from his situation but you know what is it extreme i mean he he was a regular person before that book went 
wild. I mean, that's possible for any of us, right? What, what, what's clear is that if we spend the time getting clear um, in, the, in that whole process and where we're striving to go, then we can really be intentional. And that's the structure of, of my book. It's really get clear, then be in intentional in, in your decisions, what you're doing, your habits, your systems, and make, make sure all of that stuff is supporting the person you want to become. And check in with yourself every now and then to make sure that you're on the same course or, you know, maybe you were, you were lured over and, 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 you know, something looked kind of bright and shiny, for example. I mean, I just had that happen literally last week. I mean, someone offered this opportunity to, to interview someone live in Miami for some sort of conference, um, that like on a yacht or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, I haven't traveled in the longest time, you know, being in this COVID world I'm like that, you know, that, that might be interesting. Definitely. I mean, as long as you can work the, the, the crowd on this boat, I'm sure there's opportunity, but I had to, I had to check stuff. Well, wait a second. With, with the vanity stripped away from, is that actually is that actually, um, you know, giving towards what I'm trying to do uh, right now? I'm trying to make sure that these practices, this book and everything around reaches the right people. Mm -hmm. And so, so now it became clear, right? It became clear. You know what? I appreciate it. Now is not the great, you know, the greatest time, maybe next year we'll see, but right now, you know, the, the path is really clear. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great example. I'm going to move on quickly here because I want to get to someone that we both know and love dearly, Claude Silver's question. Uh, mm. How can I hold space for others? So this is, again, something that really strikes a chord. One, because I know her and I know where she goes with this, but also in our world of, of leadership and coaching and being available for other people. I think it's part of the reason that we end up pushing our own well-being off to the side because it is a, a bit of a tricky dynamic holding space for others whilst also yeah. appreciating that you need to hold space for yourself and finding that balance between the two is actually the trick. Yeah. Yeah. And it comes back almost full circle to how we started this conversation, but you know, you can't, you can't truly hold space for another human being if you're not present yourself in that conversation or situation. And typically what, you know, fuels the, the lack of presence is that we've got our own shit going on, or we're thinking about the last conversation, or we have a relationship that, you know, is, is no longer serving us, but like really eating at our soul and it's on the top of our mind, like things are bothering us. So, I mean, it sounds, it's, it's, I guess it sounds intuitive, easier said than done, obviously. And, and even with Claude, I remember asking her, well, then what do you do then? What, what, what do you do to make sure that, because you're human, for sure you've got things going on um, that will spark up emotion and whatnot and, and potentially derail you from being present. And she just offered this uh, basically another prompt and it, it revolved around, well, what, you know, what makes me feel free and limitless? And so when, when really tough situations come up, she defaults back to, okay, what's that list? What, what are those things, those activities that 
give me a sense of freedom and that that limitless feeling that can pause whatever the internal narrative that's going on right now allows it to to be released and then i can step back in you know that that positive creation state which is where we're motivated and excited versus that the survival state of mind right where the fear and uncertainty lines up and then when you can step into a conversation with another person where you've left your stuff behind or you've released it and you're you're truly there and you're you put your focus on being present now you're now first of all the other person can feel that and you can offer the best support in terms of whatever they're going through because you're you're hearing what's being said just like cal fussman's strategy you're there your 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 mind will make those actions as the person's speaking right um and then what's equally important where she starts talking at the end of a conversation like that you know in her case she's she's at vayner media and i think there are near a thousand people that she's essentially responsible for the you know the development and, and and emotions of these people to, to make sure that they feel good and they're they're in a in a safe place to do really awesome work well she, there's a lot of energy that she's receiving from these conversations that could really drain her as well right like you got to be open and hold, and hold that space and she really shared this really uh really nice practice of that i feel like could bore all the coaches listening as well it's just that once those are done, you've got to release that energy, right? You've got to let that go. You can't, and doctors face this as well, especially, you know, in a COVID time, but you, like you can't come home with all of that energy because it's going to affect you. And then you can't show up, you know, for others the next day. So just, you know, whether, and this could be different for everyone. For Claude, she, she calls this like an energy separation. And she just, she really just at the end thinks, okay, that person just left instead of drawing or, or narrowing in on what was shared, she narrows in on the person itself. Like this is Bob, he's got blue eyes, he's got two kids, he lives in South Carolina, I live here, you know, and just going right back to the, the person that, that she knows and, and not the narrative or the, or the emotions that have been shared. And then you can just shake that stuff out. So she's ready and feels recharged and, and not carrying that. So that works for her. I mean, there are a million different things you can do. You can take a walk. Um, or you can just set that intention, right? You know, okay, you know, I did that work there. I'm going to let that release and, uh, and think about, you know, things that light you up, make you smile and, and default to the things that, that make you feel good. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I've learned a lot from Claude's perspective on this because, you know, again, she's in the trenches. She's not your ordinary chief human resource officer that you run into, you know, in corporate America who is so far removed hierarchically from, um, you know, John and Jane in the office. Whereas yeah. when you, when you go to her office, it's like literally the doors open and any one of the thousand people can walk in and say, Hey, can I, can I speak to you, Claude? And so she takes on this tremendous amount of responsibility for the emotional well-being. And what I've learned from, from her, from a coaching perspective is, is how to, to deal with that and some of those ways to deal with that because we deal with that in sport in that we're constantly around each other i call it the weight of caring you know the, yeah, the, yeah the weight of expectation is kind of a misnomer in, in our in in our world in that there's no greater expectation than the ones you place on yourself like outside expectations are yeah they're part of it but generally a coach has greater expectations than, than you have of them and so what it actually is is that 
in my environment in you know, AFL would be 50 players. So there you've got 50 sons. Plus you start to care mm-hmm. about their, their partners and their kids and, and their mums and dads. And, and plus you've got all your staff. You care about them and their well-being. And all of a sudden this mushroom balloons out and you're at X amount. Yeah. It's like how do you deal with the emotional weight of all these people? And, you know, there are coping mechanisms. I think, you know, there's there's that, like, finding ways to detach from it. It could also be creating a character for yourself while you're in the workplace. Um, yeah, you know, that's I think, cool. You know, because actors, you know, stage actors and comedians have this amazing ability to turn it on and turn it off. And so we can learn from them. You know, they're, they're still authentic. Yeah. They're still themselves, but there's performance and then there's you know who the actual person is and, and there's a way to, to separate them and, and actually yeah. again the trick becomes knowing when and how to turn it on and off totally but, you know, there totally. are there are mechanisms and yeah and again you know claude is a, is a great example of someone who's who willingly takes on that that emotional toll but has also developed these levers that she can pull to to go through it um, so that you know, she arrives home for her partner and her daughters, and 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 is able to, you know, still be effective and a human. All right, now comes the big question. <laughs> We're sitting here pre-launch. I'm curious. So I'm going to ask you this after as well. What do you think people are going to grab onto in personal Socrates? What what right now because <laughs> this will change i'm excited to hear what it is later but right now what do you think people are, are really going to gravitate towards well i mean there's been a bit of validation on this one just just pre-launch which is which is nice because it, it was the intention it the intention is really to leave a, a different perspective in how to use questions day to day without without even really thinking about it you know getting to the point where it's it's a you know it's automatic you know that's the that's the autopilot i actually i wouldn't mind being on it's just deploying questions and seeing questions in a different light than what we're used to and again like i'm not inventing this i mean socrates has been around for for <laughs> since 469 i think bc but if we can apply that through a narrative that makes sense in our modern world and in, in the work that we do and the people that we speak to, then it just opens up a whole other world of possibility. I mean, there's nothing that feels better than being clear and knowing that you're doing things with intention that, you know, back to James Clear's profile that are, are you know, supporting that person you want to become. And then, then you actually start seeing, ah, that's the path like that, you know, yeah, hundred percent. I need to go down that route. You know, there's that, that's the gift. That is truly the gift. And, and, you know, I've seen that just even through this journey. I mean, the app was such a different experience of, you know, amount of users and, and keeping them in the app and converting and retention and all that stuff. Whereas this experience, don't get me wrong, I'd obviously love as many people as possible to experience the words in the book, but I'm really just going in this 
excited about the unknown that yeah. is going to come from it. And I'm already starting to feel that and just knowing that, you know what, I gave it my all in this, in this book and I continue to try to show up and learn and, and, and keep evolving with, with this space and these, in this work. And, you know, that will continue as long as I can continue that, that curiosity that I'm learning from all of these stunning humans in the book. Right. So, so yeah, a different perspective on how we can use questions to really allow our mind to thrive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just to bring it full circle here, I'll read the, the quote that Chip actually has on the, the jacket here, which is, to your point, you know, it's not new, but such a, a modern spin. Personal Socrates is where ancient wisdom meets modern day mental fitness. And I couldn't agree with that more. It's a fantastic read. Where can people find it, Mark? I mean, the easiest place, it'll, it'll direct out to regular Amazon links and directly from the publisher, Baron Fig. But if you just go to behindthehuman.com, that's where you'll find the book, me, the podcast. And I mean, don't be shy. Shoot me a message. I would love to know what questions uh, you reflect on, you know, what's helped you, whether that's from the book or anything else in life. But I, I have a bit of a fascination for collecting really good quality questions. So please leave those with me. Yeah, I think you're a bit more than a hobbyist now with you know, <laughs> yeah. hundreds of thousands of potential <laughs> questions and prompts to, to put in front of people. But yeah, I, I think this is going to be great for a lot of people, whether it's you know within coaching and leadership like I'm in, like I said before we, we came on air, you know, just life in general and learning to question yourself, ask great questions of others, uh, you know, have these magnificent insights, be able to look at a, an issue or a door that's open in front of you and ask what it is that, that you really want out of it if you walk through it or you close the door. Like I, I think you can take this in so many different directions. So I'm I'm sure your DMs are going to light up as people experience the book and, and really start to dive into it. So thank you for putting it together. I know how arduous it was. I know how arduous it is to write a book. So thank you for doing the legwork for us. And yeah, good luck with it. Thanks, Cody. I mean, I just, uh, you know, I want to acknowledge you as or say a huge thanks for, for obviously inviting me on the show and for, all the work that you're putting out there, I, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm proud to call you a friend. So thank you and keep rocking it out there. We're doing our best. Which I do. All right, Mark, until the, the third time that we get together, another, yeah, another two yeah. years. <laughs> exactly. Mate, always great to chat. Thanks, Mark. Be well. Hey, thanks for listening all the way to the end. You can find me at CodyRoyal.com and at CodyRoyal on Twitter. And don't forget new episodes coming thick and fast for the rest of 2021. Have a great day.